Hello again, and welcome to Macintosh and Maud Haven't Seen What? This week, Macintosh and Maud have their flannel jackets and combat boots on, while they explore the grunge scene in all its glory. And the never-ending cameos don't hurt either. Join us for Cameron Crowe's 1992 love letter to the Emerald City, Singles! Everybody, this is David, aka Macintosh, and this is Diana, aka Mod. And this week we are watching a little early '90s rom-com called Singles. A group of twenty-something friends, most of whom live in the same apartment complex, search for love and success in grunge-era Seattle, the Emerald City, Washington State, Puget Sound, Grace Anatomy, Space Needle. <laughs> it's just name Seattle things. I need to know first before I tell my connection with this movie. Uh-huh. Did you know about this movie and have you been meaning to watch it ever? I knew it existed. I I yeah, I it would have played on TV and I think I've probably like stumbled upon it a few times, but since I didn't know what was going on, I was like, I'm not going to watch this. Uh I don't know that I've been meaning to because I don't really care. Are you a grunge person? Uh sort of. I really loved wearing flannel. I had my flannel shirt uh, that matched my t-shirt underneath and I had it like uh, wrapped around my waist. Uh, I didn't have Doc Martens because those were kind of expensive, but I had other black boots. But you went through like the late 90s fashion resurgence of grunge, right? Yeah, I I, I mean, all these clothes, I was like, well, not only are they popular again now, <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, I remember wearing things similar to that. Yeah. Definitely the baby doll dresses. Which is funny because like all the people in Seattle at the time were like, we just wore it because it was fucking warm because it was cold outside every day. Like, Yeah, I, I had a lot of vests. I remember that. I had, a, <laughs> I had a broomstick skirt, which was pretty awesome, nice. with a matching vest. Um, I had a, I didn't have a, a, a lot of hats, because uh, I have a large head. <laughs> uh, but yeah, to- the choker necklaces, uh, the bangs, I totally had the bangs. Oh, the bangs. Yes, the bangs. So, yeah. Well, I think it's pretty easy to know how I got into this movie. Oh, because your your favorite person in the entire universe is in it. Uh-huh. And, and that my... would be Eddie Vedder. Uh-huh. The yeah. The singer of Pearl Jam. Your first love. <laughs> I mean, it, so it, it is more interesting that my aunt knew about this movie, knew that he was in it, and it wasn't until around I was high school that it was mm-hmm. recommended to me, but it was just like, hey, look, he's in this movie, and it's all about that time. Because I... You know, I, I always do that with artists. I get really yeah. into artists. Mm-hmm. Then I want to learn about what All was about going on and, and yeah. the scene mm-hmm. and what's in there. Sure. And along with the movie Hype, the documentary about the rise of grunge, which is awesome. I totally recommend watching it. Okay. This does a pretty good job of talking about what Seattle was like in the 90s. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why there's so many people from the grunge scene in the movie. Yeah. Because Cameron Crowe is just as obsessed with Pearl Jam and Soundgarden mm-hmm. and was in love with these guys. Yeah. So I, I fully believe that. So you can get a real sense from this movie of what it was like to be in Seattle and even sure. through these characters, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and then just watching it, you know, I was I was in that early teenage phase. I was kind of a hopeless romantic. This movie got yeah. to me. I probably knew in the back of my head it wasn't that great. 
but I still liked it. Okay. Uh oh. <laughs> yeah, this movie sucks. <laughs> it's it's not great. It's not great, but here's the thing. I've I will seen say. way where like I'm watching this and I'm like She's all that is better than this movie. <laughs> oh, now I will. I will tell you that is not true at all. I mean, it's this not, has, but it's, this has much better it's moments. Very different. This to me is a very a very hit or miss movie. It's like when it when it's working and everything's together, it's great. And when it's not, it's boring. And that's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. I, I I still found things I really enjoyed about it while recognizing it was like, oh, well, this doesn't hold up nearly as well as it used to. No. And also not as well as Cameron Crowe's other work. No, his other work is much better. Well, let's get into writing and directing then. Okay. We're starting with Cameron Crowe. The interesting thing about this movie, he actually wrote this in 1984. Okay. Like right around the time of Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Okay. He originally was set in like Phoenix, Arizona Mm -hmm. and was supposed to film it then, but it got delayed and it got delayed. Mm -hmm. And he filmed Say Anything in Seattle. Mm -hmm. And during that time... Got involved yeah. with the grunge scene uh-huh. and saw how the community rallied around the death of Andrew Wood. Long story short with Andrew Wood is he was the lead singer of a band called Mother Love Bone. Mm-hmm. And that band had members of Pearl Jam. Okay. They've joined a couple members of Soundgarden. That was Temple of the Dog. That was Hunger Strike, which Eddie Vedder appears on. And then Pearl Jam starts. Mm-hmm. So all of this is churning underneath everything going on in Seattle at the time. Okay. Before anybody knows what's going on in Seattle at all. Okay. That's a problem. Why? I mean, I like Seattle as the setting. Um, The grunge thing is great, but he made a movie that nobody understands. Hmm. And sure, if you're a big music buff and you're really into that whole scene, you're going to know who every single one of these people are. You're going to know that that's Alice in Chains. You're going to know that that's Eddie Vedder. You're going to know that the entire band of Pearl Jam is hanging out with Matt Dillon. Like, you're going to get that. If you if you don't know that, half this movie is pointless. You're and, right. And use, useless. I only know that's Eddie Vedder because I've been with you for 13 years. Right. So I get why you would like this yeah and i get why other people who are really into all of that music scene would be like oh it's just fun but honestly it's like i want an excuse to have all this music now let's create a love story it's a crutch that Mm. that doesn't do anything like cut all the music out like i mean they can all be like the one guy can be in the band uh, hanging out with his bandmates and that's like the most important thing to him like that's well, I think... fine you can have the people going to the bar and the clubs to hang out and meet people because that's part of the scene then all the extra music shit cut it my my thing would be keep the music because the music's really good but okay. here's but here's the deal is but this isn't a music video this isn't a discography this isn't this Let... isn't this isn't a, a what he's trying to do all that you just you just cut no i get it here where i'm going he didn't write a good enough love story to be interesting enough to support the music he wanted to throw in. He didn't write a love story. Yeah, I know. He basically he, he wrote, wrote a bunch of sketches. He wrote a bunch of sketches with with a couple of people who happen to live in the same building, which again is a great starting off point. It shouldn't take me till the very end of the movie to understand the title. Yeah. Because it's like, singles. Okay, that's the sign outside the building most of them live in. That should have been one of the first things we see. 
the whole thing is a mess. Yes, I, this would be really fun to re-edit this film. Oh my gosh, yeah. That's going to be my new project in life. I'm going to re-edit films that I decide are dumb and make them better. Because <laughs> I feel like if you, first of all, you've got to rewrite some of these scenes and flesh them out more. But if you if you said, okay, take all of these elements and now rearrange them, mm-hmm. I think you could get a compelling through-line story. Yeah. And it's just not there. The problem, one of the problems I have is I'm fine with we don't get all of this story. You know, we got this and they're all cut, supposed to be interconnected, but they're not connected enough. No, not and at all. And there's not, they put more emphasis on the the. I don't, I don't know. Steve and Linda. Steve and Linda. Yeah. See, I barely know anybody's name. We'll get there. Because I don't care. <laughs> um, Steve and Linda's relationship, because that one actually has stakes. Yeah. Like that has shit that happens with Janet and what's his butt. Uh, you don't care. Like, this is what we've seen on every fucking TV show known to man. I love him. He treats me like crap. I'm going to go be independent. Now he loves her. And now they're going to be together. Who cares? It wasn't different enough, they weren't funny enough, and they weren't connected enough to the other people to make it fine. Another thing this movie suffers from is trying to tell too many stories in one movie. Well, none of them are connected. They just all happen to live in the same building, and it's stupid. Right. But also, like, he he gives five minutes to this one story, then another five minutes to this one, and then we catch up on this mm-hmm. one, but we've missed, like, a whole chunk that yep. would have helped us get it. You know, and then certain characters are really interesting, but they get wasted because we've got yeah. to go back to these other the stories. The rich lady is hilarious. Debbie? Yeah. Yeah. Debbie's hilarious because she's so freaking desperate. I-, I think the thing for me about this movie is there are moments and lines that are so good. I mean, I- I'm I'm sorry. The line, I was just nowhere near your neighborhood mm-hmm. is so great. That's a great it's line. It's so great. But you can't hang your hat on one line for a whole movie. I know. And, well, Unless I, you're the sixth sense. And here's the thing is, I feel like this is a movie made up of really awesome two-minute one-line setups. Yeah. Those one lines are great. You know what this movie is? What? But it's worse. It's like Valentine's Day. It is. Because you know what? At least on Valentine's Day, all those stories are interconnected. Well, and this is... What's, what's funny is, like, this is kind of one of the first movies that did that badly badly but i'm a really talented dude but some sometimes inspiration can come through a failure like that all right let's get into the actors because there's a lot okay we're gonna start with top build Mm -hmm. bridget fonda as janet livermore i like bridget fonda i do like bridget fonda i really loved her in point of no return uh yes the lefebvre nikita remake yeah uh, I didn't know that at the time. That was one of those that we were in that weird period of time where my parents just really wanted to go to the movies. And it was just me and my brother that t- at that point, my, my sisters hadn't been born yet. And so they kind of we got to go see some movies that my mom probably would have said no to. It was a total rated R violent I, film. No, I remember seeing that in the theater. Wow. Yeah, I think that it was just one of those like. We just really want to go to the movies. We don't have a babysitter, so y'all are coming with us. And and my brother was probably just old enough for it to be okay, because there wasn't any, like, explicit nudity or sex in it. No, it was just, violence. Yeah, it was more violence. And I was just kind of there. So she's the daughter of Peter Fonda and Susan Brewer. Okay. So the niece of Jane Fonda, mm-hmm. the granddaughter of Henry Fonda. Fonda. Her big breakout was single white female. Yeah. And then 
did a whole slew of movies through the 90s. Probably her biggest claim to fame for me mm-hmm. is Jackie Brown, in which she plays this sort of crazy, coked-up girlfriend to Robert De Niro's character. That's one I haven't seen. It's great. And then in 2002, got in a really bad car wreck. And then right around that time, she married Denny Elfman, mm-hmm. and she completely retired from acting. Yep. And she's been asked about it. She's hinted that, you know, she might, but overall in the past few years, she's just been like, nah, I'm I'm good. She's good. She's stiff. She is stiff, but her character's stupid. Yeah. She's, uh, she's just a stupid girl. Nobody has anything to work with, so no. we're going to have to say everybody's stiff. She's fine. Next, we have Campbell Scott as Steve Dunn. I really like him. He's one of those guys that you're just like, oh, he's in this movie? Oh, it's that dude. And then you're like, I forgot how good he is. He's very good. What is, okay, what else has he been in? He did a lot of indie movies. I mean, he did Big Night, Mm -hmm. The Spanish Prisoner, little known movies and indie stuff for his like claim to fame. He did a lot of TV though, right? Uh, Not even really TV. Really? So what's his other big thing? Uh, I can see one here, The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Oh, okay. And he also was in the most recent, uh, well, not the most recent, but The Amazing Spider-Man with Andrew Garfield. He's done a lot of TV recently. He's just, like. Yeah, he's just been around. It takes a little while to warm up to his character, I feel I like. I like him. No, he's the, he's the square. He's the dude. Yeah. Just the guy. No, he's just, uh, he's the square dude. Everybody else is like loose and like into the scene. Um, he's the square. He works for the city. It's me. Uh, and it's that, so mean. Yeah, I mean, he's fine and he does a good job with his character. Like, I believe him. He's great. Super true. I think I would have liked him, like, when I like, I would have liked to see him be a little bit more drunk because when he finally calls her when he's drunk, he's just being loud and crap. I think this, that was an opportunity for us to see him drunk previously, being silly and like completely coming out of a shell. Yeah. And then, so that when that moment happens, it's a little more interesting. Yeah. We also. Get to play a game. Oh, we who could have been better? Oh, okay, who do you got? Well, first of all, Matt Dillon was offered this role and declined. Okay. There's one other actor, Johnny Depp. Oh. Johnny for, Depp for this role would not take this role uh-huh. because he was uncomfortable saying "I love you" on screen. That's stupid. It. I totally agree. Johnny Depp is kind of a stupid dude. He would have been better in the Matt Dillon role. Yes. He would have been horrible in this role. I know, right? Although, let's remember that at this point, he hadn't been completely cast as total immersive character actor guy. Uh, Had he done Benny and June? That was just after this. Okay. That was 93. And he had done Gilbert Grape, though, right? Yep. Oh, no. Gilbert Grape was after this, too. That was like 93, 94. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he hadn't done any of that yet. Crybaby would have been the big thing anybody knew. Okay. Yeah, he um, he couldn't have done this role well. No. I understand why Cameron Crowe would have liked him. I, I totally see that. Uh, but no. No, no. No, 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 no. I will say, at that point in Johnny Depp's career, I could see him possibly pulling it off. No. He would have been better in the Matt Dillon role. It's true. He would have been great mm-hmm. as a. Uh, he, he could have done it. Next, we have Kira Sedgwick, the closer herself. That woman does not age. As Linda Powell. That woman has not aged. There's nope. a picture. In, <laughs> there's a portrait of her in her addict aging instead of her. Mm-hmm. Like, that woman has bare. I mean, she's amazing in the clothes. I mean, she's great. 
I I fully believe her as her character. I like how three-dimensional she is. She's smart. She's just vulnerable. Uh-huh. She's not completely an idiot romantic, but she's idealistic. She's idealistic. She's not an idiot. And that's okay. I do. I did like the scene where she goes, I, you know, she goes, being with Andy's good. It's almost like being alone. <laughs> I was just like, that's the, that's the saddest, best thing ever. Her at the college party is priceless. Yeah, her at the college party is pretty funny. Come as your favorite contraceptive. That whole scene is just great. Because I'm like, oh, that's what that is. Oh, that's what that is. And I just thought that was hilarious. It's like, why didn't we have those at our college? The uh, the bits that they do in this movie are really Some of really the bits good. are good. Some of the bits are really They're good. They're really funny. I, I do agree with that. We also... We, we can't go without mentioning mm-hmm. that she is married to Kevin Bacon. Yeah. Which, if we're going to consider that a tie, I almost think that that means zero degrees of separation. Yeah. If you're married to Kevin Bacon, you don't have to be in a movie. You have zero Correct. degrees. So yes. everyone in singles, by our modified rules, is one degree from Kevin Bacon. No, oh, that's fair. That's <laughs> completely fair. Right? Yeah, no, I, I'm on board with that. Guess what? We get to play some more. Who could have been better? Other names that were possible. Jennifer Jason Lee was cast in the role. That that makes sense. But declined. Fast times. They're like the exact same person. Exactly. So So she would have been great. I mean, I'm just just going to say this. Kara Sedgwick's a better actress. Ooh. But I can see Jennifer Jason Lee doing this. Jodie Foster. Uh, The problem is that she looks exactly like Bridget Fonda at this point. Yeah. And Mary Stuart Masterson. Oh, uh, yep. Yeah. Also looks just like Bridget Fonda at this time. And would go on to star in the other 90s, darling, the much more well-regarded Benny and June. Are you sticking with Kira Sedgwick? Uh, yeah. I'm sticking. If we're going to keep Bridget Fonda, then it has to be Kira Sedgwick. Otherwise, it's just all the ladies look the exact same. That's a good point. Next up. Sheila Kelly as Debbie Hunt. Okay, she's kind of like Campbell Scott in that I'm like, who is that? Where am I known her from? And sh- I know she was on Gossip Girl. Uh-huh. Uh, and I loved her on that. And I just like her. I really liked her character. I always like her when I see her. I just forget who she is. Much like Campbell Scott. <laughs> Which is probably kind of the point with her. That's okay. She's a character actress. She's cool. I um, like her. C- come to where the flavor is. Come to Sheila <laughs> Country. <laughs> Yeah, that was pretty good. She gets one of the best lines in the whole movie. Yeah, that was pretty great. Yeah, she's just ridiculous. And I I wish we'd have seen more of her character. Oh, she's really interesting. They should have had her, like, kind of, like... She should have been... There should have been three main stories, and her should have been the third main story. No, she should have been just one of the through lines of the apartment complex that we... Oh my god, she could have tied everybody together. We should... Okay, one of the things that would have made this really cool is that we only have scenes in and around the apartment complex yeah and what would be great if she almost had like the mrs roper role of like she's there she's crazy she's that one everybody talks about because she's rich but she's also super desperate for a man and she's always doing ridiculous shit or like that would have been amazing or maybe she's like a phoebe oh Hmm. 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 we'll get there we'll get there uh next up jim true frost Mm-hmm. At this point, Jim True as David Bailey. Yep. Known as Prez Prisbelewski from The Wire. Uh, he's great. He has not aged either. He just has floppier hair then. I did, And I did the math. He was like 24 at the time. Okay. So he was young. 
He was an But he looked exactly the same. Yeah, he's not aged at all. Um, they wasted his character. They did. He was so interesting. See, and he I was, kept looking he, at him. He kept showing up and I was like, that's who Janet's going to end up with. That's who she should be with. Yeah. Stuff like that should have been happening. He's the beat poet, dude. He should have been like the philosophy weirdo in the books and stuff. And we should have had more of him. Yeah. So, ah, whatever. It was Presbyluski. Uh-huh. All right. Matt Dillon as Cliff Poncier. He looks like a shitty version of uh, Brendan Fraser and Zeno Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can go with that. Here's what's sad, is I like Cliff as a character. Character's fine. I love the idea of having that dude in that house. Yeah. And just Matt Dillon's not the right guy for it. Matt Dillon can't act. Yeah. I, I want to disagree with you, but I can't. I've never seen him in anything where he was interesting. Now, there is a very interesting minor who could have been better on this. Okay. And I'm going to try and do up. it in the best voice. <laughs> who could have been better? Because Chris Cornell was originally tapped by Cameron Crowe to play this role. Tried to do my best Chris Cornell impression with that. Uh, Soundgarden's lead singer, of course, very tragically took his own life last year. Super sad story. Did guy battled all his life with different demons. But at the time, doing pretty good. And Cameron Crowe wanted him to play this role. Mm -hmm. Soundgarden had just started to get some momentum and he did not have the time. Eddie Vedder would have been better in this role. Eddie Vedder would have been great as Cliff, too. We could have had Chris Cornell play his his band, dude. Now, you know what's funny is Eddie is singing for Cliff on Touch Me, I'm Dick. Yeah. If you listen to it, it's Eddie doing that voice. Yeah. I figured that out because I'm very well versed in Eddie Vedder's voice at this point. <laughs> if you listen to, if you listen close enough, you can figure it out. Though he is screaming all over the place to try and hide it. It's it's the sad thing of I love the character. I yeah. love the whole idea. Character's fine. Character makes total sense. Uh, that's the connection to the grunge scene. And that's Citi fine. And Citizen Dick being the absolute worst, worst parody band, yeah. of one of those bands. Yeah. But yeah, Eddie Vedder would have been better in that role. There's a lot of people who Johnny Depp. Been that should have been Johnny Depp's role. He'd have been so he, great. He would have done great because Johnny Depp's like uh, pretend want to be rock stars. So uh huh. And finally, he's really I, I almost put him in the in the least known cast, but mm -hmm. I guess he gets a big enough scene that he's worth mentioning. Bill Pullman as Doctor Jeffrey Jameson. See, and that was the other thing is that Janet's character has such a great moment with him. You feel like they're gonna date. They should date. They, they shouldn't wind up together. I'm but they should date. No, because then what it could mean is that she, like she gets introduced, like he gets introduced to the Linda character, and or Debbie, they, or Debbie, and then they date. It should have like, been Debbie. If that anybody... would have been funny. Um, there's just so many like they too many loose threads. Yeah, like wait, it's like watching Riverdale. It's just too much wasted bullshit. What is funny is he's he's definitely seems older than any of the rest of them. And which that's is... fine because he's supposed to be supposed to be thirty three yeah. years old. And that scene is fantastic. He does a it really is. good job. He in is. It he's good. Of, he was wasted. Of just looking, going like, you don't need this. Don't do this. Let's get to the people of note because there's a lot. <laughs> the people of note. Uh huh. James Legros as Andy. 
Apparently a Brad Pitt lookalike? Who says this? Okay. I, I don't know this. Mm-hmm. Allie Walker, aka The Profiler, mm-hmm. as Pam, Debbie's yep. roommate. Yep. Eric Stoltz as the mime. <laughs> the talking mime. <laughs> I love Eric Stoltz. The biggest asshole mime. The original Marty McFly. He just, he just shows up in all these guys' movies, right? Like He's just a dude. He was in and around the indie scene, so yeah. everybody wanted to make stuff with him. Mm-hmm. Jeremy Piven as Doug Hewley, the grocery guy. Man, that guy also has an, has an age, but he has lost all his hair. <laughs> that entire scene was improv Okay. He did that all on his off the top of his. Dome. I mean, Jeremy Piven's a dick, but that man can perform. Like, okay, say what you want about Entourage, he makes that entire fucking show. Well, I'm sure he does, and he's amazing. And he must be like sweating buckets when he's done with the take because that man is all uh, adrenaline. Oh, pure. Like you can I lo- tell. I love him. You can I watch, love him. You can watch this scene and just get that from. And him. I, I. <sighs> I particularly love him and Serendipity with John Cusack. <laughs> I love that movie. And he's a really good sidekick. He just is. I just love the fact that he literally goes ape shit on this guy that he knew in college. And then at the end pulls up the pregnancy test and goes, but I oh, guess you're probably. You busy. might have other plans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tom Skerritt as Mayor Weber. Old asshole dude. Yep. That place. But. Longtime resident of Seattle. Yes. Hence why he is playing the mayor. Mm-hmm. I'm cool with that. Christopher Masterson from Malcolm in the Middle playing yep. 10-year-old Steve talking about spam. Oh, yeah. Paul Giamatti. Giamatti. What? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I love Paul Giamatti. This He's is great. This is his third IMDb credit. Okay. He has one line. And he steals the entire scene he's in. That's great. <laughs> I love, they could have cast some obnoxious, attractive dude. No, it's funnier when it's someone freaking, you know. They pick Paul freaking Giamatti. Yeah, it's funnier that way. Well, it's funny. I mean, at the time, nobody knew who he was. Yeah. But it just, it plays so well. Tim Burton playing yep. Brian, a.k.a. He's the next Martin Scorsese. Scorsese. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, that's Tim Burton. Uh-huh. Like watching this, and he's got a very distinctive profile. <laughs> so I was like, it's just bored dude? by everyone who comes into that dating show. That's just his face. Oh yeah, that's just his face. I'm bored about everything. The only <laughs> thing that was missing was those tinted glasses. Yep. And Helena Bottom Carter standing next to him. Victor Garber, in an uncredited role mm-hmm. as the kid's dad. Uh, that mustache is ridiculous. <laughs> His hair has color. I've never seen that before. I think they dyed it. <laughs> I love Victor Garber. I fell in love with him on Alias. I love him. Every time I see him, I'm like, it's Victor Garber. He's the best. I was sipping through IMDb credits. His like, second film role was uh-huh. Jesus in Godspell. Wow. Yeah. He's a talented dude. He goes way back. Yep. Uh, yeah. Cameron Crowe uh-huh. is the club interviewer interviewing Cliff while Alice and Chains are playing. Cool. So you see the back of his head. Okay. Chris Cornell playing Chris okay. in the glass breaking out scene. And he's pretty funny. Like they're playing Tad and he's just yeah. like, uh-huh. This is awesome. I'm digging it. It was great. <laughs> I'm amazing. And of course, Eddie Vedder, Jeff Ament, and Stone Gossard as Citizen Dick. A compliment for us is, is a, a compliment, compliment for you. you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've said that a lot. <laughs> Just his face while they're watching the B documentary. It's pretty funny. It's just like, oh, Eddie. 
You were so young. You were uh-huh. a baby. <laughs> and Jeff as the bus driver base dude. It's <laughs> pretty good. I mean, here's the thing is almost every single one of those dudes to a person just has a really fucking good sense of humor. That's fair. They really do. Mm-hmm. That's good. The irony is not lost on them of all of that shit. <laughs> all right. A little bit of trivia. There is a legendary little EP that came out of this film. So Cornell wanted to be in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, couldn't be in everything. But the guys in Citizen Dick made a joke and wrote this EP of songs that Citizen Dick recorded and had <laughs> fake song titles all over it. Okay. Chris Cornell wrote songs to each of those titles. And one of them was an early demo of Spoon Man. So the song that became a later radio hit mm-hmm. was originally recorded on this demo, and you can actually hear it it's in the movie. supposed to be a spoof. That's funny. Yeah, it was just a big joke. Ben Folds did that. They released a bunch of uh, title tracks for his album. I know. Like, they're all fake. But the, the funniest part is, mm-hmm. Spoonman became Soundgarden's first giant radio hit. That's funny. <laughs> That's funny. So, yeah, there you go. Uh, Allison Chains filmed everything live. Soundgarden did, too. They refused to do playback. So th- those live performances were actually, actually live. That's cool. Soundgarden's is pretty rough, but that's their sound. Mm-hmm. Allison Chains sounds fucking amazing. That was a good sound setup they had. Yeah, they sounded pretty good. Um, Cameron Crow uh-huh. was offered a television series from this movie. Huh, that would have been good. He did not take that offer, so and he claims that that, that later turned into Friends. friends. Yeah, which means we have to cast Friends with these characters. Oh, fuck. No, let's not sully my good TV show. With okay, that. well, let me let me at least try, okay? okay. Not the people, take away the bad the writing, characters. No, the I characters. Okay. Janet is Rachel. No. Well, okay. Or is she Monica? No. Uh, Linda is Monica. That's fair. Linda is Monica. Campbell Scott is Ross. Steve. Yeah. He's closest to Ross. Yeah. Matt Dillon is Joey. Of course. Uh, Debbie... Debbie is Phoebe. No. Oh, who do you think Debbie is? Debbie is Rachel. You're right. Debbie's Rachel. So that's right. Janet would be Phoebe. Janet would be a better Phoebe. Yeah. David would be Chandler. David. Jim True's character. Okay. Yeah. He would have been a Chandler. Okay, there you go. Yeah. Okay, you did ruin friends for me. I'll be I know. I th- I was like, the more yeah. I thought about it, I was like, I think we can get there. I, we've got six people. 
They can all merge in there. Like, okay. It all works. I could see, like... Or maybe Bill Pullman's character winds up as Ross and we cut somebody out here. No, that's good. No, Bill Pullman is Gunther. (laughs) (laughs) They filmed this movie pretty early on and Warner Brothers held it for nine months. Why? Because... Music rights. No, nobody knew what was going on in Seattle when he filmed it. Oh, that whole point I made at the beginning? Yeah, I was right. Nevermind had not come out yet. Mm -hmm. And they were holding it, trying to figure out how to get it marketable. And then Nevermind came out. Mm -hmm. And suddenly they had their in. Because Nirvana is amazing. They are. And that leads me to the last bit of trivia, which goes right into our soundtrack. Mm -hmm. Nirvana was slated to be a part of the soundtrack and the film. Mm Mm-hmm. And Cameron Crowe was really, really interested in the song Emodium, which later became Breed. Okay. But Kurt opted out. And when he talked to MTV about it, his basic explanation was like, we're not into rock and roll movies, man. Like he saw early cuts and was just like, Mm. this just isn't our vibe. So they didn't go for it. But Cameron Crowe said that when the movie premiered, he was told that Kurt got security to let him in through a back door, which makes total sense. I'm not faulting him for that. And he came and saw the whole movie Mm -hmm. and then left. Okay. Which is like, that's kind of cool. That he did watch it because it was a big deal for Seattle. It's a movie about his friends at that point. Yeah. Like, it's not him and it's not his thing, but it doesn't mean he can't enjoy it or like it. And in some ways, it's actually like his big brothers because everybody in this movie were like three to five years older than him and had been doing it longer than him yeah he was just a little he was a baby he was a little draggy prodigy boy but he was probably better than almost all of them and that is hard to say knowing how much i love the lyrics that a veteran can write (laughs) i know but but he he was definitely something special that leads us into the soundtrack yeah this soundtrack sold a million copies Upon its release. How many did Can't Hardly Wait sell? 500k. Okay. Yeah, it's okay. Different times, different music stuff. No, I'm just trying, since we just did a big music episode, I'm just trying to compare. And then they re-released it recently for the 25th anniversary Uh of this movie, Mm -hmm. and it got certified two times platinum. So it's sold 2 million plus. That's cool. Of physical records. Uh, It was released three months before the movie came out. Yeah, that makes sense to me, just to hype the movie. It was to hype the movie, and also... Pearl Jam had not released anything since 10 had come out. Oh, okay. Soundgarden hadn't really put anything out since Bad Motorfinger. There was an in-between moment for these mm-hmm. bands where they had gotten big, toured, and this had new material. Yeah. So it was a big, giant fucking deal. That's cool. So the first song we start off with mm-hmm. is the studio version that is played live in the movie of Alice in Chains' War. reference it's the second song they play when they're interviewing cliff okay uh, you might have heard it before it's the last song on uh on dirt their 1992 album uh, you don't know anything about alice in chains really nope i don't know i know they are a band i did listen to their unplugged and it's really good like them acoustic sounds amazing 
To me, they're just noise. Oh, man. Yeah, I just don't... I don't care. Second up on the list, playing while Steve and Linda are driving and then get in the car wreck, mm -hmm. is Pearl Jam's first cut on this album, Breath. This is not one of Pearl Jam's better songs. No, but it's a good song for that scene. It's a good song for that scene. It's a good, it, it's, it's a pretty good song. It has a kick-ass bridge. Where there's some harmonies going on, which you don't get in a lot of Pearl Jam. Mm -hmm. And it's like, whoa, this is kind of cool. But otherwise, it's just kind of like, oh, this is pretty generic 1991 Pearl Jam. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, third up is Chris Cornell's Seasons. <laughs> was also one of the tracks on the Poncier EP. Those are just words you're saying to me. <laughs> it was one of the songs on the EP that he gave to Cameron Crowe okay. of the different songs okay. and stuff. Um, this is the song that plays while we see Steve losing his job and, and walking around Seattle and stuff. Yeah. It's that guitar song. It's just him and a guitar. That's cool. And like it's Chris Cornell on his own is pretty freaking great. Yeah, no, it's it's good. Yeah. Next up, going back to our replacements connections, mm -hmm. Paul Westerberg, the lead singer and guitarist, mm -hmm. or ex-lead singer and guitarist of the replacements at this point, with dyslexic heart. This is the song at the end credits. Oh, okay. Um, um, and he scored the entire movie. So all of that poppy, jangly guitars, that's all Paul Westerberg. Well, that's pretty good. It it works. It's the right vibe. Especially with all the kind of dark, grungy music, you needed yeah. a score that was peppier. Yeah, you needed... Yeah. No, that, <laughs> no, that was good. No, he did a really good job with that. And they picked the right guy for it. Mm-hmm. The next song on here, which I don't remember where it's played, but it's mm -hmm. a really great cover. It is The Lovemongers with Battle of Evermore. Yeah. 
This is Ann and Nancy Wilson of Heart playing a cover of the Led Zeppelin song, Battle of Evermore. Okay, when they played this, which, yeah, I don't really, I remember being like, why is this familiar? Why do I know this? Like, it, it yeah, and it's because of who's singing it in the song. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's a live cut, I think, from Neil Young's Bridge School Benefit. But it's it's incredible. I listened to it this morning and was like, whoa, they do a great job with this. Okay. Now we get Mother Love Bone. <laughs> it's the worst band name ever, guys. It, pretty, I don't know what to do. But this bad. is a beautiful song. Chloe Dancer slash Crown of Thorns. This is playing during a car drive somewhere. Uh, is this when they're going, uh, like when they're, when Linda and Steve are driving? At some point, yeah. yeah it's like a montage. But it's the piano song. Yeah, uh, I think that's when it is. So this song was included on Say Anything, actually. And this is that whole Andrew Wood connection and stuff. Okay. When people talk about Mother Love Bone, they basically say, like, they could have been the biggest band out of Seattle. They were somewhere between the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Guns N' Roses. And Andrew Wood sounds like Axl Rose. So, like, they were a big honkin' deal, and then he died, like, a week before their album was supposed to come out. So it was was a huge shock. But yeah, it was, it's just a crazy song. And also, there's a really good Pearl Jam cover of it. Eddie does a great job. Next up, the song we hear Soundgarden do live, Mm -hmm. Birth Ritual. Well, this is a straight-up fucking metal song. Okay, but all of these songs are so... The song titles are so fucking pretentious. Yeah, it was 1990s in Seattle. so ridiculous. This is... Basically, imagine teenagers who never really grew up and just kept playing music, but they got really good at it. No, I get that. (laughs) Um... Look, this song fucking rocks. No, it's a good song. Um, it's just like birth ritual. It's well, just so funny. If you look at the lyrics, it is the description of a rich of some type of dark birth ritual. Like okay. that's why it wigs. This is right before they got radio friendly too. Mm-hmm. Like right before the shift to Spoon Man and stuff that we've heard all the time. Black Hole Sun. This is still when they were pretty much like the metal, the Black le- the blacks, Sun. but like they were the Black Sabbath. I'm of sorry, I just keep thinking of the Westworld cover of Black Hole Sun. <laughs> Which is fucking amazing. This is probably the last, like, big metal tune they put out. Okay. Now we get to maybe my favorite song on the whole soundtrack. Mm-hmm. You heard it if you listened to our little intro last week. State of Love and Trust by Pearl Jam. Oh, it's all my hands and, and I listen 
this, we talked about Damn It last mm-hmm. time. Yeah. This, to me, is their Damn It. I, yeah, I see that. Well, and they've had, like, you know, Blink has had, like, three different type, three or four different type of bands. Pearl Jam's had, like, seven. No, no, I, I mean, they've um, been around for, like, 40 years. This is the, but. but this is the peak of their first era mm-hmm. of becoming a huge band, 10, and all that stuff. And State of Love and Trust puts all that in a package. The song moves fast, and the lyrics, they are haunting and poetic. And I dare anybody who sounds like Eddie Vedder to write lyrics as good as that. It's a haunting song to read. It's it's a good song. And then it just kicks ass. That's like Eddie at some of of his best. Mm -hmm. He's done awesome stuff since, but yeah. It's just a really killer tune. Mm -hmm. Next up. A song that we only hear at the tail end of the uh, dating videos. Mm-hmm. It is Mud Honey's Overblown. <laughs> Every time I think about Mud Honey, I always think of the line from Hype, where Bruce Pavitt of Sub Pop goes, Before 1989, Mud Honey was the biggest band in the world. After 1989, Nirvana was the biggest band in the world. As it should be. Mud Honey's fucking great. Uh, well, I mean, I'm biased. I've listened to a million times more uh, Nirvana. Nirvana than Mud Honey, but... I... They... They had the goods to go all the way, and they just it was the wrong time but like they are such a good band what's funny to me about this song is this whole song is about leaving seattle because the scene has gotten too dumb (laughs) (laughs) which i was like it's so grunge to put that song in the movie about grunge that's uh quite (laughs) self-referential yeah Mm -hmm. next up Paul Westerberg with the other song, which you hear throughout almost the entire movie in some form, it's Waiting for Somebody. good song all my life waiting for somebody mm-hmm. it's a good pop song it's definitely of the time i remember hearing that a lot <laughs> next song we get up is a little bit of a tone shift we have Jimi hendrix with may this be love waterfall nothing can harm me at all my worries seem so very small but my waterfall so this is the song this is a song well this is on this album <laughs> this it's is when in this movie it's when steve and linda are listening to records yeah and it's sort of the psychedelic song yeah. you hear mm-hmm. it's jimmy um i think it's beautiful I mean, it's, a, it's it's fine it's, it serves it, it it serves the scene well 
It's, a, it's also a nice nod to Jimmy, who is the beginning of all things Seattle music. Also part of the 27 Club. Yeah. What I really like about the song is that it's a rare moment for him of all of his guitar skills, but it's a very quiet and tender mm-hmm. yeah. song. Mm-hmm. And that's what's really cool about it. It's a really interesting listen. Next up, a very meh song, The Screaming Trees with Nearly Lost You. Finally, we're going to have an argument. Yeah. Because in the scene where we say, Janet, you rock my world. Barf. Barf. (laughs) It is the Smashing Pumpkins with Drown. not like the Smashing Pumpkins. I don't like them. Okay, what don't you like about them? Billy Corgan is a whiny bitch. Well, that is definitely true. But uh, it took me a long time to realize. I always thought like, oh, well, James Eha is the second guitarist, so he must be the cool one. And I was like, wait, no, Billy Corgan did all of that fucking shit. He's an amazing guitarist he's, he's and a, a genius. He reminds me a lot of Dave Grohl, but like on the other end of the spectrum. Musical genius, wonderful songwriter. But Dave Grohl is amazing as a person, and Billy Corgan is a trash human. Yeah, he is. Oh, I totally agree <laughs> um, with that. And the okay, it's the whiny. And I had a friend growing up who was obsessed with them, and this was like non. Aside from it being nonstop on the radio, it was nonstop with her. That's and fair. I do not give two shits about the Smashing Pumpkins. They have like one song I don't. And then there's I'm like, fuck off, I don't care. For me, this is still them before they went completely off the fucking rails. Yeah. Like, the early 90s up to Melancholy mm-hmm. is all still really good. Siamese Dream is a classic fucking album. I would rather... It's when Billy Corgan still had hair. Weird. <laughs> <laughs> Just, no. Yeah. I would rather listen to the Spice Girls constantly than listen to the Smashing Pumpkins. Well, yeah, the Spice Girls can write a catchy pop tune. I don't know why. I can dance to that shit. (laughs) (laughs) No, I really like. I'll listen to Hanson all day before I want. Also, a really good band. I don't. You're 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 not throwing out good examples here. Justin Bieber. (laughs) Something obnoxious. Eh, you know, I yeah. get you. I get you. You know, you know what I mean. It's a cup of tea thing, but I really All like right. it. It's okay. It's a good song, and you'll only find it on this soundtrack. Whoopity-doo. There's some other great songs that I saw, too, like Radio Song by R.E.M., um, which they only play the intro to because that one kicks into high gear pretty quick. Yeah, like the second that one started, I was like, eh, it's Michael Stipe. <laughs> um, she Sells Sanctuary by The Cult playing at the uh, contraceptive party. 
I'm not the contraceptive party. <laughs> and uh, Dig for Fire, playing by the Pixies, when we first go meet Brian at the director's studio. Oh, I missed that one. I'm cool. digging for fire. I'm digging for fire. It's a great song by them. Great pop it. So romance. Mm-hmm. I mean, you hate the movie. Yeah, the movie sucks. But was there any? Were there any nuggets that like you liked about the romance between certain characters? No. No. Mm-mm. Overwrought. I'm really glad that pregnancy tests aren't as complicated as they used to be. <laughs> <laughs> like it's way easier. That is one other good thing this movie does is it tells you what life was like in 1992, which is very different. Than yes. it is now. Garage door openers are really important to people. <laughs> like, okay. Can you blame people? Like, let's be real. Yes, because it's stupid. <laughs> That's stupid. So now we have to do ratings, mm-hmm. which means we are going to go for how many out of five soul patches this movie gets. <laughs> soul patches. Yep. Cliff's soul patch. And I go first. Okay. Yes, it's your movie. You have to go first. I wanted to give it a three. Mm-hmm. I wanted to give it a three. But I ruined your movie, so... You haven't ruined the movie. I'm gonna give it a two and a half. I'm going down one... Only one half, because I still think the soundtrack's killer. I think it's... Okay. Out of out of movie soundtracks, you, okay. it's pretty good stem if, to start. If there's one thing you love more than movies, it's music. Oh my gosh, yes. So I, I'll give you that. And... I'll let you have that. For me, the time capsule of the scene is really cool. Mm-hmm. It's really cool to see those bands live. It's really cool to see that stuff. That's a great thing. And then for me, the other big thing that I really like is I do, I, I, those one-liners catch me. Okay. They still do. Mm-hmm. I, I recognize that it's not great, but I also love when those moments work. And it's like, if we could have had a whole movie that did that, that would have been great. So I'm sorry. I think that movie was called Can't Hardly Wait when we watched it last week. Yeah, you're, you're probably right. Yeah. Um, um, but I'm just going to split that difference. Just okay. go two and a half. How about you? One and a half. Okay. And that is mostly for Kira Sedgwick and Bill Pullman and Paul Giamatti. And all the fun random cameos. I I like all the fun. I I love a good cameo. A cameo makes me so happy. I'll be high off of it for days. Um, (laughs) Not this movie, but other ones in life. Um, But And I, I do like the idea that this helped inspire the writers of Friends, which is one of my most favorite shows ever. One and a half. It's just a hot mess of a movie. Yeah, it's it's a turd. <laughs> it's not as bad as RoboCop. Nothing, nothing's as worse bad as RoboCop. Yet. Now you're probably right on that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What are we watching next week? So next week we had a poll. We put a poll up online on Facebook and Twitter, and we got a we got a decent response. Cool. Um, but it was it was really a landslide. We're watching Funny Face. Yay! Um, thank you all who voted. Um, it's just, it's fun to let y'all pick a little from time to time. We're going to do that a little bit more often. Uh, if you haven't seen our Facebook page, we have made a Facebook group for all of y'all to come hang out and play with us. Please. Um, that's where we're going to put, all of, well, I'm going to do some more movie polls in our next uh, little series. We're going to have probably weekly polls going on. More than one, maybe. Ooh. Uh, but yeah, next week it's going to be Funny Face. Uh, Fred Astaire and Audrey Hepburn. 
Mm. Mm. We'll see if Audrey Hepburn can keep up with him. Probably not. Probably not. I I could just guess on that one. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, well. The only thing worse than having to see the Isle of Dogs trailer is having to record our review of Isle of Dogs three different times. Hi. Hi. Yeah, we've had some issues. Technical difficulties. Set in Japan. Isle of Dogs follows a boy's odyssey in search of his lost dog. If that was the only part of what we saw on film, it would have been good. Yeah. Uh, This movie sucks. I did not like it. It's way too long. I feel like it's culturally insensitive. I wasn't as bothered by some of the cultural things. To me, the vibe was he was very much trying to pay tribute to the culture and the culture of cinema. Mm -hmm. But I also agree that it's not done particularly well because all of those scenes are the most boring scenes in the entire movie yeah if they yeah if they just kept it with the dogs and the little boy it would have been fine it would have been a cool movie i'd that'd be fine i Uh, i get the need to have the adults have some type of thing in the background for have a reason for the dogs to be there they had way too much yeah i know they could have told that story in five minutes instead of an hour yeah the cast is really cool oh we really like that bill murray is the baseball dog. Uh-huh. One problem is that a lot of, because uh, all the, the dogs are together, their voices sound a lot alike. And so then we got a little confused of who's who's that? Who's, who's that? What? Which one? It takes a while before you're like, oh, this person's this and that. And then you're good. Yeah. Like, you have to sort everybody out. But it's the usual Wes Anderson cast. Um, With some very interesting and unique cameos coming through. Yeah. Um, I particularly like the dog. It's named Oracle, and they call her that because uh, they think she can see the future, but really it's that she understands the television. Uh Uh-huh. And I just find that hilarious. And it's so sad. There's puppies that are hurt, and it's like, no, don't hurt puppies. (sighs) Yeah, if, if you're deaf, if you're... Going through some dog issues, don't go see this movie. And, this and is... also, don't go see this movie. <laughs> yeah. I Even if you're a Wes Anderson fan, it's not his best. It's, it's just not. It's just, it's not worth it. I'm really glad we had to buy one, get one to see this, because I would have been pissed if we'd paid full price. Wait until later, rent it. Yeah. Especially if you're an Anderson fan, you'll want to see it. But, you know, just don't don't go in expecting Don't rush. Don't rush. Yeah. You didn't. Hey, next week. Superheroes. <gasps> Next week is a bit is Avengers. I'm yeah. so excited, and we've watched Spider Man like eight billion times. Our son loves it. Spider Man. I want to watch Spider Man. So, till next time. Bye, guys. That's it for this episode. Please take a moment to review and rate us on iTunes. And for questions and comments, drop us an email at macintoshandmod at gmail.com.